why don't you take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 13. I want to talk to you about refusing to live in shame. And at the end, I believe that God's going to do something in our midst. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, earlier in the book, it talks about David, the mess that was created whenever he gave into his flesh. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, it begins with the story of Amnon, David's eldest son. Amnon became infatuated with his half-sister Tamar, whose brother was Absalom. Tamar was a beautiful princess, a virgin daughter of the king, and he was frustrated by his desire for her. His cousin Jonadab could see that something was bothering Amnon, so he asked him, Amnon, what's the matter? So Jonadab was a shrewd guy, and he developed a scheme so that Amnon could have access to Tamar. He said this, he said, go tell your dad, you know, act like you're sick. And when your dad comes to visit, tell the king that you would like your sister to come and make you something to eat. So David sends word to the palace asking Tamar to go and help her brother. She obeys and goes to his home. She prepares a meal for him, but he refuses to eat. Then he tells everyone else to leave the house And he has her bring the food into his bedroom where he proceeds to proposition her. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 12, here is Tamar's response. She says, no, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You will be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And she was wearing an ornate robe. For this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. I want you to kind of underline that in your Bible. And Tamar put ashes on her head. And torn to the ornate robe she was wearing. And she put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this to heart. And Tamar lived with her brother in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. When David the king heard all about this, he was furious. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, neither good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister, Tamar. Now, just very quickly, we saw in this portion of scripture that Tamar resisted as best she could. First, she pled with Amnon. She said, don't do such a horrible thing. Second, she argued that such disgraceful things were simply not done in Israel. Third, she pointed out that both of them would be ruined by such an act. And Amnon would be considered a fool, a godless man, for having raped his own half-sister. Finally, Tamar urged Amnon to ask the king for her in marriage if he could not control his lust. 
And she's saying, the king, and then the king, he wouldn't refuse such a request. At least marriage to his half-sister, though forbidden by the law, would be more honorable than rape. Amnon was in no mood to reason, and he overpowered and raped his sister. Immediately, Amnon went to the opposite extreme. He hated Tamar more than he ever had loved her. And we know that wasn't love that motivated him. Because of his guilt and fear of exposure, he ordered Tamar out of his presence, and Tamar again tried to reason with him. Sending her away after raping him was even worse than the first violation. This would make it appear that Tamar had initiated the seduction, and Amnon again would not listen to her. He ordered his attendant to throw her out of the house and to lock the door. Now, I'd like to take a look at what happens to Tamar after this event. Let me give a disclaimer. You know, sometimes as a pastor or, or sometimes as people who speak about different things or who look on from the sidelines, it's real easy to say what someone else should do. Well, I would have, or they should have. And I want to give you a disclaimer. I in no way want to pass judgment upon how people respond to traumatic events in their life. We weren't there. If you haven't been there and you don't know what they experienced, we don't know how we would respond. Okay, And so sometimes people are surviving, and that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to survive. So in no way do we want to pass judgment or put people down, those who have experienced traumatic events. But I think there are some things that we can learn. Before this event took place, the Bible says that Tamar was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. And then it says that after Tamar put on her head, she put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away weeping aloud as she went. It says that her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He's your brother. Don't take this to heart. And it says that Tamar lived in her brother's house, a desolate woman. Now, before this took place, Tamar was wearing an ornate robe. This robe distinguished her as a princess. Whenever Tamar walked down the street, everybody knew who Tamar was by what she was clothed in. She was clothed in this robe. And there's some things about it that I see it representing. And everybody knew she belongs to the king. She's a daughter of the king. There was such hope for her. And I see this robe representing beauty and privilege and provision. A carefree life. Not a life free of responsibilities or duties, but a life with security. Knowing that her father, the king, would take care of her and provide for her. Up until that moment in Tamar's life, everything pointed to an incredibly bright future for her. Do you see that? I can just see her walking around with her friends and being carefree and innocent with a pure heart. But things change in a moment. And it would seem that that ornate robe that distinguished her as a daughter of the king, someone with such a promising future, was exchanged And she was no longer clothed with that robe. She tore that robe and she was clothed with shame. And we find that she spent the rest of her life 
living in her brother's house as a desolate woman. It doesn't look like she got a whole lot of help dealing with things with her experience. Her father, David, gets mad, but he doesn't do anything. And he's in a situation, how can he do anything with all that he's done in his past? It makes him vulnerable, as it were. Her brother Absalom tells her, just be quiet about it. Let it go. Don't let it bother you. And this goes back to some of David's choices. When a king took multiple wives, each of their wives and children were like separate families. And it was Absalom was her big brother, and he felt it was his duty to protect her and to look out from her. And so from that day, he says, you know, just let it go. I don't, don't, let's not talk about this. But from that day on, he plotted and waited for the opportunity to murder Amnon for what he had done to Tamar. But even his killing wanted to vindicate his sister. Even his murdering of Amnon didn't take away her shame. Now here's the question, really the big question of this message. Why is it that people so often allow themselves to be clothed in shame without even resisting? In that moment, that event that took place there, when she came out, she tears her robe, princess garment, as a child of the king, she tears that garment, she puts on ashes in mourning, and she allows herself to be clothed in shame. And evidently, that was a robe that she never took off the rest of her life. This garment of shame was put upon her, and she wore that garment of shame till her grave. Why is it? I'm going to ask that question again. Why is it that people so easily allow others or allow a cloak of shame to be put upon them? Now, here again, we're not passing judgment on how she responded at that moment, what she should have done, what she shouldn't have done. We're not saying that. But I just wonder, why do we let the enemy clothe us with shame? For her, from the beginning, she was innocent. She was naive. She didn't know what he was doing. She was deceived and she was taken advantage of. And from the beginning, if you're jotting notes, from the beginning, sin has always brought shame. Whether it be your sin or mine, whether you are the perpetrator of sin or you are the victim of someone's sin, sin always brings shame. If you don't believe me, just look at Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve in verse 7, they were in the garden. They disobeyed the voice of God. They gave in to their rebellion against God. And when they took that bite of that tree, it says this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked. So what did they do? They were ashamed. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden and in the cool of the day, and hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And today, men and women are trying to cover themselves. Today, men and women are afraid. They're ashamed because of the result of sin. Before sin came, the scripture says in Genesis chapter 2.25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They weren't ashamed. They weren't embarrassed. They weren't guilty. They felt no shame at all. But when sin came, when sin entered into the world and they disobeyed, they were clothed in shame. And what they do? They tried to cover themselves and they tried to run from God. And the second thing, 
from the beginning, man has tried various means of covering up his own shame. Adam and Eve, the first thing they did is they sewed fig trees together. When they took that bite of that fruit, when they disobeyed God, the first thing is their eyes were open and they saw their nakedness. They sewed fig leaves together. It didn't work. They tried to hide from God. That didn't work either. And people are still trying to find ways to cover their shame today. People are still trying to look for somehow to cover whether they put on a front. You know, we may no longer sew fig leaves together, but people put on a front that everything's okay and and everything's wonderful. And we cover up things. and, And why? Because of the result of shame. And from the beginning, God has had a plan. From the very beginning, God has had a plan to deal with our shame. There's a road they call the dragon. This 11-mile stretch of road between Blunt County, Tennessee, and Swain County, North Carolina, has some of the most challenging curves on the East Coast. Motorcyclists and sports car enthusiasts from all over the world come to this place to test their skills on this road in an area known as Deals Gap. The Dragon is home to 318 curves. Some so thrilling that each of them have earned their own name for the curve. If you run off the road, you are greeted by trees, boulders, and steep embankments. Over the years, they've created what they call the Tree of Shame. It's a collection of motorcycle parts that lost to the dragon. And these parts are attached to a tree. And it's the place where, you know, hey, man, you didn't make it. It's their tree of shame. Well, we have a tree that we look to. It was a tree of shame. At one point, it was a tree of shame. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says that when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ Jesus. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Do you hear that? He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. You know, the word says that you are a drug addict, but God doesn't say that anymore. The word says for some of you that you're a liar. The law says it's for some of you, you are a liar. You're a thief. You're an adulterer. You're a fornicator. You're lost. You have no hope. The shames that you have have been nailed to that cross on Calvary. And Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin and for mine. I don't have to be what I was before. Oh, if the world could only hear that. But if the world could only hear that because so many people are clothed in shame. They've allowed the world to put this garment upon them. They've allowed the world to dump that upon them. Cancel this legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. And he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authority. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. You know, as I was praying this week for this message, I felt that the Lord gave me a vision for people around this altar. And that was this, that God was helping people 
to take off a garment of shame. I mean, I saw it in my spirit that there's people who over the years, you know, even though you've accepted Jesus and even though you've been forgiven, that you've allowed a garment of shame to be put upon you. It may be the shame of your sin, but wait a minute. (laughs) Your sins have been nailed to the cross. The debt for your sin has been paid by Jesus. He made a public spectacle of the principalities and the powers. He paid the price for your shame, for your sin. You know what? I want you to know the beautiful thing too. It's not just innocent people who he pays the price for because some of you are guilty. You're not the Tamar. You're the Amnon. We know that. We're not the innocent one. We are the guilty one. We are the one who sinned. It's our fault. It's our pride, our lust, our greed, our selfishness. We are the guilty one. And listen to this. Jesus didn't just die for Tamars to remove their shame. Jesus died for Amnons to remove his shame. Jesus died to take away the reproach so that you and I can walk in freedom. And what God originally had before she was clothed in the king's robe, representing beauty, privilege, provision, a carefree life, one not without responsibilities, but a life of security, knowing that the father, the king, would take care of you. A bright future. Now, I don't know what's happened in your life, and I don't know the experiences you've been through, and I don't know whether it's your sin or somebody else's. But I know that there's a lot of people, and maybe it's just one here today, but I really don't think that. I know there's a lot of people who you've allowed, you've allowed the enemy to put, maybe initially you helped him put it on. You helped him put that garment of shame on. And and I deserve it. I I, I deserve it. And and that's what I get. But I wish someone would just get ticked off and mad. Instead of getting mad at other people, I wish we'd get mad at the enemy and just disgusted with him and say, I'm not going to keep allowing you to put this on me. I'm going to take this garment off and I'm going to put on the robe that I rightfully deserve because Jesus paid the price for it. Whether you're an Amnon or whether you're a Tamar, the blood of Jesus knows no limit. The tree of shame that Jesus died upon has now become a symbol of our victory that I do have a bright future, that I do have a father who's going to take care of me, that I do have a hope for tomorrow. I don't have to be burdened down and and carrying a bunch of loads. And so this morning, I just want to pray for you. And this is what I'm going to ask you. If you're here today, And you would say, you know, pastor, I wish I could have that. I feel like I've allowed that shame to be put upon me. Whether it's your sin, someone else, it don't matter. And you know what, people, just today, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. At these altars, there's going to be at least somebody. There's going to be at least one person who God's going to take that garment off. I I, I see it being like a burlap, horrible thing to wear stinky, smelly, like wearing a wool coat during the summer, itching, smelly, wet. And he's going to put on a robe of righteousness upon you. He's already done it. 
He's already done it. But you keep allowing that shame to be put back upon you. So today, I'm just, Kelly's going to play, and I just want to pray over you. If you've got to go, man, the Lord bless you. But we're going to spend some time around these altars, and we're going to believe God to do something supernatural. If you've ever been in a men's suit place, there'll be a guy, and he'll you know, stand there with, the, with your jacket, and he'll help you put it on. And I believe that the Holy Spirit's going to be here today to clothe some people in the righteousness of Jesus and to to remove the shame from you and to throw that away. Jesus already triumphed over that through the cross. Father God, I pray that as we step out here today, I just ask that in the name of Jesus, that shame will be broken over people's lives. And Lord, that they would go back to that place of I'm free. I got a future. I have a bright future. I'm a child of the king. I don't have to be worried and burdened down. My destiny does not have to be controlled by one or two events in my life. But I'm of great worth and I'm of great value to my father. And my father is going to care for me. Lord, I pray that ministry would take place here at these altars. And we pray this in Jesus' name.